Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning to those of you joining us online as well. So glad you're with us. Uh, like Michael said, I'm going to be wrapping up a series that we've been doing over the last really month and a half or so, as we've been looking at a, a relatively short book of the Bible, a letter, actually, Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, a, a, a town, a city, Thessalonica in, in Greece. And today we've come to the conclusion of it. We've pretty much gone section by section in order through this this letter, and we've come to the last and final words, the final instructions that Paul is going to give to this, this young church. And we've called this series, the whole time we've called it In the Meantime, because really that's been the main theme that we've seen all throughout this letter. That when Paul and his friends first went to Thessalonica to, to share the good news of Jesus, to, to tell people in this city about who Jesus is is and, and what he had done for them, many of the people there believed. They believed. They stopped worshiping their false Greek idols, their false Greek gods, and they put their faith in Jesus. And this new young church was born, but not everybody in the city was happy about it. In fact, a lot, some people were very upset about it, so much so that they, they, started, to, uh, they started to push Paul out. They, they, they started to threaten his life. And so Paul and his friends had to basically flee the city and, and Paul, part of the reason why Paul is writing this letter is because he can't safely go back to the Thessalonians right now. So he's writing them this letter to encourage them and to, in this time of saying, until, in the meantime, in the meantime, until I can get back to you, I want you to continue to do these things. So that's part of the reason why we've called this series in the meantime. But if you've been here, you know there's a double meaning to it. There's just another meaning to this phrase in the meantime as well, because they're not just waiting for Paul to come back they're waiting for Jesus to come back. They're waiting for Jesus to come back too. Paul taught them that Jesus had come to earth. He had died for their sins and he had overcome death by resurrecting from the dead and he had ascended back to heaven. But one day he's gonna come back. He's gonna come back and be with them. And we talked about how we really don't know when that will be. The Thessalonians didn't know. We don't know. Even Jesus didn't know Heather talked about this last weekend, that even Jesus didn't know when he would be coming back. Only God, the Father in heaven, knows the date and the time. And so Paul says, in the meantime, until Jesus' return, this is how you should live. This is how you should live. And today we're going to look at Paul's final instructions in this, his final basic call to action of what he wants the Thessalonians to do. But also then, how does that apply to us today? Because we're still waiting for Jesus to come back too. And so how should we be living in light of, of what Paul has to say? So let me pray, and then we'll look at this passage of Scripture. So God, we just, I thank you for your presence today. I thank you for everybody who's here and who's joined us online. And I just pray, Lord, that as you, uh, that you would come, Lord, as we look at this final section in this letter, that not only will we understand what Paul's trying to say to the Thessalonians, what you're trying to say through Paul to the Thessalonians, but that we want to understand what you're trying to say to us today, to us as well. Help us to learn what it looks like to live in the meantime as well. Amen. Amen. So we're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 
through 28 if you have a Bible or a phone app and you want to get, get there. But before we, I re start reading this to you, I just want to make kind of point out one important point. Um, many times when we look at the Bible, we read the Bible, you, we, might, we probably do that on our own. Maybe you have a certain space in your house where you like to open the Bible, a chair you sit in every morning with a cup of coffee, or maybe late at night you, you lay in bed and you open up your Bible and you read before you go to sleep. And oftentimes when we look at the Bible, we're doing it kind of on our own. And that's a good thing. Like we should be reading the Bible regularly on our own. But sometimes that can cause us to misinterpret scripture a little bit. Because sometimes we can think that what we're reading applies to us singular when it's meant to apply to us plural. Well, the passage we're going to look at today is going to use the word you a lot. You, you need to know this. You should do this. You, you, you. And it's so easy to think about that as, as an individual. I need to do this. But the reality is, is this list of things we're going to look at would be really hard, pretty much impossible for us to do singular all on our own. And that was never Paul's intention in this passage. Paul's intention when he says you is you all, you all the church, do this together. You're called to do this together. In fact, all the verbs that we're gonna read in the original language were plural, meaning we're not meant to do this on our own, we're meant to do it as a church family together. And so uh, just that's important to remember. And so what I've done in this passage, even though it's not in your Bible, is I'm, I've just included the word all after you every time we read it to help us kind of keep that in mind, that he's not talking to us as individuals, he's talking to us as, as a whole group. So verse 12, it says this. Now we ask you all, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you all, who care for you all and the Lord and admonish you all. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you all, brothers and sisters, to warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strives to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you all in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you all through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you all is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you all before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Now, I could have read that y'all. Y'all, right? Like, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with y'all. But that would have probably been quite distracting. <laughs> Um, there's a lot of great things in here that Paul challenges and encourages the Thessalonian church to do. But how do we, what do, what's the kind of the theme or how do we make sense of all these things put together? Well, John Stott, the famous English evangelist and theologian, calls this passage a calling of how to be a gospel church. He says it's a calling of how to be a gospel family. Brothers and sisters, 
Brothers and sisters, that phrase and what we just, this short little chunk, it happens four times. He repeats that phrase in this translation, in NIV translation in English, but it actually happens five times in the original language. Verse 26, there's a phrase where it says God's people. That's actually the same word as brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters. He says that over and over and over again in this passage. He's saying, this is, he's calling us, my final instructions are to you, brothers and sisters, as a family, as the family of God. Now, there are three kind of natural breaks or areas of call to action in this passage that Paul is making to the family of God. And so that's what I wanna spend the, the rest of our time kind of looking at, what are those three areas and how are we as brothers and sisters supposed to live those, live those out? So the first one is how are we called to act towards our leaders? How are we called to act towards our leaders? I wanna reread verse 12 and 13 again, but this time I wanna read it out of the New Living Translation because I think this translation in these few verses articulates a little bit clearer what Paul's trying to say. So he says this, dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peacefully with each other. He says, honor those who are your leaders. Show them great respect. Ex you know, express wholehearted love to them. Honor your spiritual leaders. Now, we don't know the exact details of why Paul is saying this specifically to the, the church in Thessalonica. But if I had to guess, I would guess it has something to do with what he's talked about earlier in the letter. The things that he's brought up earlier. Like uh, that, that, that the church must not have been always listening to the leaders within the church very, very well. Like there's areas in chapter four, he addresses issues of sexual immorality. And they probably weren't listening to the leaders in that area. Uh, they probably weren't listening to leaders about Jesus' return. One of the things that, that the passage that, again, Heather talked about last week was uh, chapter five, verse one says this, now brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you for you know very well that the, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Paul is saying here, you already know this stuff. We've already taught it to you. I've already taught it to you. Your leaders have already taught it to you, but you're trying to go around them and appeal to a higher court. You're appealing to me. And I'm writing you back to say, hey, don't do that. Like, trust them. Trust your leaders. They're telling you the truth. We just don't know. We don't know the day and time. So respect them. Now, what Paul is not saying in this passage is he's not saying that you need to blindly do anything and everything your leaders tell you to do. He's not saying you can't ever question or ask for clarification. He's not saying that at all, but he is saying that you need to honor and respect them. You need to love them for the hard work that they do. And just to encourage you all, you know, encourage the VCDC church family, my brothers and sisters, I think this is something that you all do very, very well. You know, as, as one of your pastors, I feel very honored and respected by you all. And even when you have questions, even when you have concerns, or you do it respectfully in an honoring way. This past um, week, this past week, the majority of our staff got a chance to go to Great Lakes Vineyard kind of regional retreat where we got together with a lot of the other vineyard churches from around Ohio, uh, that state up north, 
even a little bit northern Kentucky. Um, it was wonderful. We could put our, our differences aside for a few days. Um, it was a wonderful retreat and, and to gather together. And, and during that time, one of the, just one little activity we did, we did lots of things. But one little activity we did is we were given all these pictures, all these photographs from, from different, cut out from different magazines or different advertisements. And there was like hundreds of them. And we were all, everybody was supposed to go pick one. We were all supposed to go pick one uh, and they all seemed pretty random, to be honest. Like a guy climbing Mount Everest, uh, a bunch of puppies scarfing food out of a bag of dog food. Like, they're all kind of random. We were supposed to pick one picture that jumped out at us and then take 10, 15 minutes and write down what we feel like the Lord might be speaking to us through this picture. And, and, and my picture was profound. It was It was amazing. It was amazing. My picture was a ceiling fan, right? I mean, like, think about it. That's amazing. No, it wasn't. It wasn't profound at all. Uh, but I saw this picture of the ceiling fan. I thought, okay, it's a ceiling fan. And I grabbed it and I thought, okay, what are you trying to say? And, and I had three blades. And I thought, okay, it's like the Trinity, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, it's the Trinity. And they're circling around each other, right, together. And they're blowing a cool breeze on me. They're expressing their love for me. So I jotted that down. I thought, okay, I'm done. Move on. And so we went back to our seats and they said, hey, so that's great. Thanks for doing that. Now we're not done yet. And I thought, oh, we're not done yet. We're gonna, we're gonna actually, you're gonna get together with two other pastors and share your picture and what it meant to you with them. And I'm sure the extroverts in the room were like, this is awesome. And the introverts were like, this is a nightmare. Like, so, so we get together and I, I get together with two pastors. I've never met them before. And the first, first one shares this picture, and he's the one with the mountain climber, climbing Mount Everest. And he starts to just pour out his heart and just share how this picture spoke to him because things in his church had just been so hard that it had just felt like, the last couple of years had just felt like climbing this, the, you know, the biggest mountain. And it's just, there's been just difficult people and difficult challenges, and it's just been a really, really hard go. And we just said, oh, I'm so sorry. Let's pray for you. And so we prayed for him. So then the next guy goes. And he's got the picture of, of all these puppies eating out of the bag of dog food, just scarfing it. And he just starts to say, oh, how the last couple of years have just been so hard. Like the, the church has just been challenging. Everybody's just, and my church is just scarfing and scarfing. And it just, it feels like there's just this tension. It's been difficult and it, it's difficult people. And so I said, well, let's pray, let's pray for you. And so we prayed for him. And then, I, and then it was my turn to go. And I got my picture of my ceiling fan. And I thought, oh man, I gotta make something up right now. Like, I can't say what I wrote down. Like, that, I can't, I, I started thinking in my head, okay, how could I, how could I, what could I, what lie could I tell? Literally, I was thinking this. Is this worth telling a lie for? Like, like uh, there are three people in, in the church that are like vultures just circling around me, right? They're trying to blow the church apart, right? Like that thought went through my head. And then, then, the, then, then it, reality kicked in. I thought, no, I can't lie. I just, I just told the truth. You know, I just shared what it meant to me and they prayed for me. It was great. But I just, I left thinking, oh, how grateful. How grateful I am for you all. Like, like that, I, this has been a hard couple of years. But I know Michael, myself, the other pastors, the others, we are very thankful for you all and how respectful and honoring you've, you've been to us 
through really, really difficult times, difficult decisions. Um, even, if, even when it's been tough and you haven't always agreed, we, we just appreciate you. And, and, um, so that's point one. That's point one. So how are we called to act towards our leaders? Uh, point two, how are we called to act towards each other? How are we called to act towards each other? Verse 14 and 15. We urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strives to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. So how are we called to act towards one another? Paul lists a number of of things here. And I don't believe this list is meant to be an exhaustive list, but I do think that he's, he's very specific in a few things here that he wanted to remind the Thessalonians of, of how to love each other. And we see the first thing he says is to the whole group again here. He says, to warn those in the church family who are idle and disruptive. Now the word idle here makes us think of lazy, right? Lazy, like warn the lazy people in your church to get to work, right? That's what, but that's actually not probably the best interpretation of, of, this, of this word. Um, Greg Beal suggests that the word should, would be better translated disorderly. Gordon Fee suggests that it could be translated unruly. So disorderly, unruly, disruptive. Warn those people to stop it. They aren't helping the church family by stirring up the pot. Do you know anybody who likes to just stir up the pot? You know, you, you know that, that, that uncle at family gatherings, you think, oh no, what's he gonna say? Right, or that, that friend who every time they get together, they just like to say things or do things just to kind of make everybody a little bit anxious. I see some hands raised out there. I was gonna say, if, you know, if you don't know anybody who's like that in your life, that might be you, right? <laughs> I, I see you out there, Andy. I see you. Uh, he says, and joking aside, you know, joking aside, Paul says, hey, we should be on the lookout for those kinds of people not to condemn them, but to lovingly warn them, hey, stop that. It's not helping. It's not helping the church family. So he says that, that's one. Two, he says, encourage the disheartened, the discouraged, our brothers and sisters who are spiritually down. We all get spiritually down sometimes. We all go through times or seasons of life where things are difficult. We all, you know, we all wonder, where are you at, God, in this situation in my life? When is this thing ever going to change? I don't understand, God, how you could ever use this, for, this difficult thing for my good. I don't see it. We all need encouraged from time to time. I think this is one of the greatest gifts we can give to each other, is the gift of expressing our encouragement to one another. One of the speakers at the conference we were at last week said something about this a little bit. She simply said this phrase, if you see something, say something. If you see something, say something. Now, you may have heard that phrase before. It's often used like, if you see something that looks suspicious, you should say something in case there is something suspicious going on. If you see something that looks a little dangerous, you should say something in case, you know, it's gonna lead to protect people. But in this case, she's talking about the opposite. She's saying, hey, if you see something that's good in someone, 
Don't just notice it and think to yourself, oh, that's, that's awesome. Say something to that person. Go out of your way to encourage them if you can, especially in the church body with our brothers and sisters. Encourage our worship team members who are leading us into experiencing more of God as we worship. You know, when you, if you go back and pick up your kids and kidsmen, uh, encourage their teachers. Thank them, right? You know, encourage them for the, for the time they've just spent with them because your kid can be a handful sometimes. I don't know if you know that. I'm just kidding. My kid can't. <laughs> uh, but they're not just giving you an hour and 15 minute break from your kids. They're talking to your kids about Jesus, right? Encourage them, right? If you see something, say something. Go out of your way to encourage the, our brothers and sisters in the church family. We all need that from time to time. Oftentimes we'll, we'll put smiles on our faces, but internally we're struggling. And, and there might be this little thing, oh, they don't, you know, they don't, they don't need to hear that. But sometimes that can change a person's day. That can change a person's week. It can change a person's life. We, do, we don't understand, I don't think, the power, the spiritual power of encouragement always, of how powerful that can be. So three, he says, help the weak. Help the weak, Paul says. Serve those here in the church in need. Pay attention and be looking for people in the church family who need a hand. You know, a family who just had a newborn and could use a meal train set up. Uh, the guy in your men's group who just had knee surgery last week and can't get the last of his leaves raked up, right? The friend who needs help moving, you know, help those in need. And you might think to yourself, you know, I do want to do that. I do want to do that, but I'm really busy. And those seem like things for like family to do. And to that, I would say, exactly. You are their family. You are their spiritual brothers and sisters. So be the family of God. You know, sometimes we say things like, hey, you know, I'd I'll be praying for you and that's good. And we should be doing that. But, but in not just praying, do something if you can. If, you, if you're able to help out your brothers and sisters in practical ways. So Paul addresses how we're called to act towards leaders. He, called, he's, he says how we're at, called to act towards each other. And finally, he addresses how we're called to worship together. How we are called to worship together. Verse 16 through 22 says this. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecy with contempt, but test them all, hold on to what is good, and reject every kind of evil. Now you might hear that and say, Andrew, what does that have to do with worship when we gather together? And to that I would say everything. It has everything to do with worship when we gather together. Dr. Ralph Martin says, these verses are to be read like the headings of our church service. These are a list of things that should be included when we worship and when we gather together as the body of Christ. Because again, individually on our own, these things aren't always possible. But when we gather together, they are. Rejoice always. Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. I don't know about you, but I'm not always joyful. I, I can't pray every second of the day. 
Sometimes I gotta sleep, right? Uh, sometimes life are hard and I'm, life's hard and I'm not always grateful in every moment of my life, right? I, can, I can't always do and be all these things individually, but collectively we can. When we gather together here on the weekends or in small groups, we can make time and space to rejoice, to sing songs of celebration and worship and praise. And even if the person beside me is having a rough week and it's hard for them to sing the words, I can sing for them. I can sing over them. Collectively, when we gather together, we take time to rejoice always as a family. Now, as a side note, interesting fact here, this, this, this verse, rejoice always, is actually the shortest verse in the Bible. Now, there's probably a few of you, two or three of you who are Bible nerds in here who are saying, wait a minute, Andrew, I don't think that's right. There's a verse in John 11:35 that says, Jesus wept, Jesus wept. And some of you are thinking, wait a minute, Andrew, I don't think you can count letters. Well, that's true in English, in English. But this, these verses were not originally written in English. They were written in Greek. And in Greek, this, this verse is 14 letters long, whereas Jesus wept is 16 letters long. So those of you who are like Bible trivia nerds, there you go. There's a fun new fact for you. Okay, verse 17, pray continually. Another very short verse, pray continually. How can I pray continually all the time individually? Again, I, I, I can't really. But we can pray continually when we're gathered here together. We pray leading up to the weekend service. We pray uh, for the church of the week. We pray at the beginning of the talk. We pray during ministry time. We pray at the end of the service. I know many of you are praying and interceding right now. You're sitting in your seat and you're praying and you're saying, God, speak through this talk to somebody in the room. Encourage somebody who needs to hear this today. I know many of you in worship are praying you're praying that people would experience the Holy Spirit in a new way. You're praying for words and different things like that. And we'll get more to that here in a second. We're praying continually. It's a regular thing of what we do together. And again, I know Michael mentioned it earlier, but just again, little plug out on, on the table in the lobby for the women's brunch, there's a board. Uh, you can sign up for an hour time slot to be praying the week leading up to the women's brunch. Uh, young, old, men, women, anybody can sign up for that. I would encourage you, take, it, take an hour's time slot so collectively we can be praying for that continually. Verse 18 says, give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks expressing our gratitude to God in all circumstances, not give thanks for all circumstances. There's a difference, but give thanks in all circumstances that God is with us always even in difficult circumstances, that he doesn't leave us, that his presence goes before us and beside us, that, that he's with us always. Express our gratitude, give thanks back to God is something that we do all the time while we're gathered together, when we worship, when we pray. And then verse 19 is so interesting to me. Paul says, do not quench the spirit do not treat prophecy with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil. He says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Do not put out 
the Holy Spirit's light. Do not extinguish the Holy Spirit's fire. How might we do that? How, how do we do that? He says that we do that when we hold prophecy in contempt, when we devalue it, when we see it as less than or worthless even. Again, he's talking about when we're gathered together as a church, brothers and sisters, as a church family, and we're sharing prophetic words. Paul says, don't treat prophecy with contempt as if it's worthless. And again, why would, why would anybody do that? Why would we devalue it or, or hold it in contempt? Well, I'll just throw out one thought, and, that, and that's this. Prophecy is weird. It's weird. It is. Like, like, let's just be honest. Let's call a spade a spade. It's weird. People got, you got a picture of what? That seems so far out there, right? Sometimes it can be, it can be unusual or unexpected. It's not planned. You know, I, you know, for me, Michael, I know it'd be, it would, sure would be nice to just say, hey, this is what we're doing first. This is what we're doing second. We can plan the service out to a T, no surprises, right? That would sure would be nice, but... We don't wanna hold prophecy in contempt. We don't wanna devalue it because God oftentimes shows up through unexpected ways, in, in weird ways, in unusual ways. And it can be messy at times. But that's why Paul says, don't just not do it as a church, but actually do it, but test it, test it. And that's why we make time, we encourage you, if you get a word or a picture during worship, Come over to Michael, come over to me, come over to one of the pastors and leaders and test it with us. This is where we get that justification from. Test it and, and we're gonna ask, hey, does that sound like something Jesus would say? Okay, good. Is it encouraging? Okay, awesome. Uh, and, and if it's something that it's, we sense the Lord is behind, then yeah, we're gonna have you share it. We don't just give anybody a microphone and say, you can say whatever you want. Right? We wanna make sure that we're protecting the church and doing it. And we've been really pressing into this over the last few months of practicing our faith. And I have loved seeing many of you come forward and test words and share a word, young and old, new and seasoned Christians. It's been wonderful. But I do wanna challenge us all in one thing. And again, this isn't pointed towards any one person. Again, talking to all of us here, myself included. But we aren't just practicing our faith when we share words. We're also practicing our faith when we respond to those words. Sometimes there are two or three or four really good words shared up front, up here. And, and because I know, I know many of you and I know some of your struggles and the things you're working through and the things you've been praying about and the things that have been tough in your life, I'll hear a word and I'll think, oh, that's great. I can think of two or three people in the room right now who needed to hear that word of encouragement. Who could use prayer for that? And then sometimes there will be very few people respond. And almost every weekend, somebody will come up to me or Michael or one of the other pastors or leaders and they'll say, you know that word, da, 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 da. Yeah, that was for me. And I think, oh, you didn't go forward. Oh, and it's again, don't hear, don't hear shaking finger, hear an invitation. Hear invitation. You know, I wanna challenge us in this. If a prophetic word is given and you know it applies to you, even just a bit, maybe your life isn't completely falling apart. You know, like maybe, maybe it's just maybe a, a minor issue in your life or a minor challenge or a minor thing of encouragement. But if it applies to you at all, would you respond? 
Would you respond by either coming forward or if you don't feel comfortable with that, turning to the person to your right or left and asking them to pray for you in that area? Would you respond? Because I, don't, I know we don't mean to, but when we don't respond, we are quenching the Holy Spirit. We are quenching the Holy Spirit in our lives. And Paul says, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't quench the Holy Spirit in your life. He wants to come near to you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to heal you. He wants to lift you up. He wants to make you wholer and stronger and healthier. He wants to love on you. Don't walk away from that chance, that opportunity. Paul says, don't do it. Don't do it. And if it's, if it's embarrassing or if, if you feel like you're gonna be judged, let me just tell you, that's not what anybody in the room is thinking. If you come forward for prayer, we're not thinking, oh, look at that person, their life is messed up. No, we are clapping for you in our hearts. We are cheering for you <laughs> in the kids' wing. We are celebrating you because we know that God is coming near to you. We are excited for you to meet with him in a new way. You know, um, I think sometimes at the end, we hear prophetic words. Uh, sometimes we, we, don't, we don't know exactly what to do with that. And I think sometimes in, unintentionally, we don't realize like ministry time is meant to be the crescendo of the service. It is the high point of the service. But sometimes I think we treat it more like the credits of the service. Like, peace, I'm checking out. And so, and don't, again, don't hear shaking the finger. Like, don't, don't hear, that. hear invitation. Stay engaged. Be, be, be hopeful. Oh, Lord, would you give somebody a word for me today? That there would be a reason for me to go forward today. Or, or a reason for me to go forward to pray for somebody today and witness God doing something. You know, when I talk to people and I, I say, hey, tell me about your story with Jesus. What are some key pivotal like moments in, in your faith? You know what they don't talk about? They don't talk about, oh, that one time, Andrew, you gave this one sermon and it was just, it was amazing and changed my life. And it was the high point of my life. They don't say that. You know what they say? They, they say, you know, one time there was a word for a hurt right elbow and I had a hurt right elbow. And I went forward and somebody prayed for me and it felt better. And I felt seen by God and I know he cares about me. Or I was struggling with anxiety and there was a word for anxiety and I didn't wanna go forward because I'm anxious and that causes anxiety. But something in me or someone in me nudged me to, to respond. And I did and I left feeling, feeling different. I left feeling lighter. I left feeling more peaceful inside to keep, to keep just going, right? Or maybe there's a practical call for finances or money is tight and, 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 and you responded and you didn't feel anything or you didn't, nothing changed immediately. But the next week, an old acquaintance called you up and said, hey, any chance you're looking for a different job? I got this opportunity. I'd love to hire you. Like, like, like I, I hear those kinds of stories all the time. And, and, and I think that's awesome. That's amazing. But there wasn't one sermon I preached that you weren't like, that was not, not one, just one. Can I get one? No, no. The reality is like, that's, that's where God meets us. 
You know, this past Thursday, just two or three days ago, was the 25th anniversary of John Wimber's death. And if you don't know who John Wimber was, he was the founder of the Vineyard Movement, first Vineyard Church, which has now grown to, I think, over 2,000 in the, in the world, over 2,000 Vineyard churches in the world. And in the early days of the Vineyard, at the end of the service, there would be more people up front than there were in their seats. There would be more people up front experiencing something of God, whether it was getting prayer or, or extending prayer, than there would be in their seats. This is our heritage. This is part of who we are. And my prayer is, oh Lord, would you do that again? Would you do that again? Over time here at VCDC, we, we get to experience your Holy Spirit, your presence like that again. Amen? Amen. Well, I wanna invite the worship team up and I'll end with this. I'll end with this. Some of the last few verses that Paul says here in this letter are a blessing. They're a blessing over the church in Thessalonica. And so uh, I wanna read this and pray this blessing as a blessing over you right now. So it starts off in verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you all through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the one who calls you all is faithful and he will do it. The one who calls you all, brothers and sisters, the one who has called you in to the family of God, into his church family, he is faithful. He is faithful even when you aren't. He is faithful even when you mess up. He is faithful even when you walk away. He is faithful and he will do it. He will do what? He will sanctify you through and through. He will change you. He will transform you. He will encourage you. He will lift you up. He will heal you. He will make you whole. He will do it. He will do it. If we keep turning to him, if we keep pressing into him, he will do it. Amen? Amen. Let's stand up. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. We'll bless you. Have a wonderful week.